The barn is very cold at night, write the cows. We'd like some electric blankets. Author Doreen Cronin doesn't explain how this came to be, how it all went down, how the cows decided they wanted electric blankets, how they became comfortable asking for them, unashamed to say that they were cold, needed warmth. We enter the story after much of the organizing, much of the relationship building has already taken place. Let's imagine then how we got there. I like to think that one cow, perhaps a youngish one, a little innocent with a big heart and a clear mind, was shivering in the barn one night. Shivering, not like hypothermia, but cold. Cold enough that returning to sleep proved hard. I imagine this cow wondering to herself whether only she was cold, whether only she struggled to sleep through the night in the fall and winter, whether only she longs for a cozy warmth to soothe her wakefulness. And I imagine this cow, after some particularly chilly night, low on sleep, a bit grouchy, making an offhand comment about the cold and the way she'd had to count not just the sheep, but all the goats and ducks and hens in order to get to sleep the night before. And on whatever day that was, that our cold cow got up the courage to share what was troubling her, I imagined that the response was not silence, but instead empathy. Perhaps a groan of solidarity from one of the cows the next stall over. Perhaps yet another cow said, me too. I too am cold. And maybe for the first time, these cows were not alone in their coldness. I imagine that they talked late into the morning, sharing stories of the most memorable of the cold nights of when the water froze in the, in the trough straight through, not just a film of ice on the top, but a slushy all the way down to the bottom. And perhaps yet another cow overheard the conversation and joined in, and then maybe the oldest mama cow, the one everyone looked to for wisdom and guidance. Perhaps she got in on it too, sharing her techniques for staying warm, the best way to huddle, a memory of the year a particularly fail, frail calf died during a hard freeze. I imagine this barn all a moo about the cold. Until one day, when maybe our big-hearted, clear-thinking, cold young cow announces that maybe the cows ought to move to someplace warmer, like Orlando or Phoenix. And I imagine that maybe the wise old mama cow counsels that just as cows can get too cold, maybe they can also get too hot, and maybe there's another solution. And I imagine the cows gathering and talking and chewing cud and chatting and deciding that what they need is electric blankets. And then maybe because they have a typewriter and that's one of their resources and there's this one calf who's really good at typing, they decide they'll write a note. And then they say they want electric blankets, and then the hens say, oh, they're cold too, and they join in, and maybe they decide they need to negotiate, so they withhold milk and egg production and finally agree on this trade, typewriter, for electric blankets. That's how I imagine it went down. 
a cow being willing to share her experience, and other cows empathizing, listening, sharing their own stories, an elder cow providing institutional memory and sharing wisdom, ideas tossed around, fashioned and refashioned based on the resources of the community, and then an ask decided on, electric blankets. And that, my friends, is organizing. I'm not sure the first time I heard about community organizing, what is clear in my mind is this, taking a seminar on the civil rights movement and reading Taylor Branch's Parting the Waters, being sprawled on the grass somewhere around page 900, and realizing, perhaps for the first time, but perhaps just in a very intense and a specific way, what people, humans, and maybe cows and hens too, can do when they organize. And I was blown away. It wasn't quite as simple as that, of course, in Parting of the Waters, which is only one-third of Taylor Branch's Chronicle of America in the King years. Much of the organizing that happened during those brilliant and brave times had more to do with women and poor people and gay people than most tellings of that history. But what is true is that that book, which is basically a much, much longer and more complicated version of Click Clack Moo, lit a fire of possibility within me, kindled a call and opened my mind to the power of humans talking to other humans and acting together. What we cannot know alone, that we are not the only one who is cold in the barn at night, we can know in community. What we cannot do alone, ask for electric blankets, we can do with community. What we cannot overcome alone, an initially apprehensive farmer, we can overcome as a community acting together. In the words of Marge Piercy, what can they do to you? Whatever they want, they can do anything you can't blame them from doing. How can you stop them? Alone, you can fight, you can refuse, you can take what revenge you can, but they roll over you. But two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob, a snake dancing file can break a cordon, an army can meet an army. This is what is true. We are different together than when we are alone. We need one another, in the words of George O'Dell, when we mourn and would be comforted, when we are in despair, in trouble, and afraid. We also need each other when we would accomplish some great purpose and cannot do it alone. And in the hour of defeat, when with encouragement we might endure and stand again. Piercy goes on, two people can keep each other sane, give support, conviction, love, massage, hope, sex. Three are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge and start an organization. With six, you can rent a whole house, 
eat pie for dinner with no seconds, and hold a fundraising party. A dozen make a demonstration, a hundred fill a hall. A thousand have solidarity in your own newsletter. 10,000 power in your own paper. A hundred thousand your own media. 10 million your own country. This congregation fills a hall. We have our own newsletter. This community already embodies the principles of community organizing in many ways, whether we think about it or not. Marge, again, it goes one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they said no. It starts when you say, we, and you know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. It starts when you care to act, and I would say it starts when you care, and you ask those around you what they care about. There are many, many success stories I could tell you about communities that have organized for what they want. Right here, the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization has won many victories, and the history of people of faith organizing for change stretches back before the civil rights movement to the labor movements, to Moses organizing his people and leading them out of slavery. But today, I'm actually thinking not about what we can change in our world out there. I'm thinking about how we can change our world right here in this community. I'm thinking about this barn and who might be cold or looking for ways to bring excitement to the pond, who might have a great idea or an unshared experience. What duck is right there, just jazzed about the idea of having a diving board, not knowing that there is another duck over there, excited about the same thing. Reverend Jeffrey K. Kribble, veteran organizer in communities of faith in Washington, D.C., is bold enough to state that community organizing offers the best hope, not only for the renewal of American democracy, but for the renewal of the church itself. He goes on, organizing not Organizing is not only how any congregation or religious institution can effectively impact its local community, but also how it can strengthen its own membership. It starts when we care, and it starts right here. Let us zoom in, zoom far in to the moment when our young cold cow with the big heart shares her story and the moment when another cow listens and shares his. This moment is about storytelling and relationship building. Reverend John T. Cresswell, Jr., minister at our church in Annapolis, writes that the thing that will save our faith and that will allow us to become better lovers, fathers, mothers, parents, partners, daughters, sons, children, and friends is building relationships, learning more about each other. In a community organizing culture, instead of hoping, waiting for that perfect moment when a cow shares that she is cold and she is heard, we intentionally go out to create time to ask one another what matters to us. What do we want to see in this community or in our world? 
Community organizer and United Church of Christ minister, Reverend Louise Green, former director of social justice ministries at All Souls Unitarian Universalist in DC, created this awesome little handout about relational organizing, what this is sometimes called. In it, she writes, the first principle in Unitarian Universalism is to affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And the second is to promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Yet sometimes it is our own congregations that treat our most precious resource, our people, with a bureaucratic disregard. This is not intentional, but results from perpetuating static structures that drain leaders of life and initiative. The solution, Reverend Green says, is to create a culture of relationships that is served by the bureaucratic apparatus rather than dominated by it. The primary tool of creating this culture of relationships is the individual one-on-one -on -one meeting. These meetings are 30 to 45 minutes of face-to-face -face conversation with one person. It's getting to know another person and being known by them. It's asking what matters to a person and why. It's turning to someone and saying, you are like no other being. What you can give, no other can give. And it's asking, what is burning in your heart? What skill, gift, passion, inner light do you want to let shine into this community? Dave Eggers telling the story of Valentino Acekdeng, one of those survivors of war and wandering we call the Lost Boys of Sudan, writes, I covet your eyes, your ears, the collapsible space between us. I am alive and you are well alive, and so we must fill the air with our words. All the while, I will know that you are there. Relational organizing one-on-ones provide structure for us to strengthen our interdependence, provide a tool to cross that collapsible space between my experience and yours, my dreams and yours. They let us be proactive in finding out who is cold, sharing our own stories of chilly nights and thinking together about how to be warm. Many UU congregations are part of a local congregation-based community organizing initiative. We could and we may be one of those congregations, but we can also commit ourselves to using relational organizing within this community right now. We already do it in many ways, and we can do it in many more. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you say we and know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. It starts with one cow being cold and can end with electric blankets for all. Amen and blessed be. <laughs>